You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. So I have to be honest today, when I was preparing this message, I was really struggling with how to present it. Um, The material itself wasn't necessarily difficult. Um, It was just like there was so much information, I wasn't sure how to deal with it. And so I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all the wise principles that Solomon gives and just kind of throw them at you, rapid fire. There might be 27 points, but that's okay. We're going to get through it. I'll do half one Sunday, half the next. But as I was writing out all of these different points that I was finding, I started to see um, somewhat of a pattern emerge. It wasn't perfect, but it was enough to where I'm like, hey, wait a minute, what if I do this? And what I saw was what Solomon would do is he would give some wise principles And then he would tell us, but don't trust in your wisdom because there's limits to it. And then he would give us a proper response to it all. And and it was almost like he would do this in seven, then he would do this in eight, then he kind of did it in nine again. And I saw this pattern emerge. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to kind of cover these chapters in a topical way um, by covering them all in their proper section. And so we're going to start by looking at the value of wisdom under the sun, the value of wisdom under the sun. We'll start in chapter seven. And we'll just walk through these chapters, and I want to just rapid-fire some of the principles that he does give us. But in chapter 7, in 1 verse 12, he kind of gives a lot of help. And last week we covered 1 through um, 4, I think, or 1 through 6, where he talks about death. And he says, hey, you're not going to be able to live this life properly if you're not prepared for death. Because otherwise, you're not going to have a proper perspective. And he said, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting because in the house of mourning where, where you are looking at that casket where someone that you love maybe have just passed on, there's nothing like a moment like that that wakes you up to your own mortality. And I have to tell you, I don't know if that message affected you, but it has, I mean, deeply affected me this past week. And I have really been working through these things and I've been creating some um, notes to loved ones and friends that, to leave if I were to die. And I have a document um, that I heard someone kind of, he does this, and I thought it was a cool idea. It's called Don't Cry For Me. And, and it's all these things that I've gotten to experience in this life. Um, and so I want it to be read at my funeral. Like, don't cry for me because I married the love of my life. Don't cry for me because we've been to Disney World, right? Don't cry for me. And, and I just have all these things, and I've just been counting my blessings and, and thanking God for all of it. And at the end, I have don't cry for me because I'm home. I'm home. And as Christians, that's our hope. And so what Solomon is trying to do in these first verses is to say, hey, until you view death in its proper perspective, you can't live life to its fullest. And then from there, um, he's going to go and he's going to say this in verse 7. He's going to actually in verse 5. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. And so what he's saying here is a wise person doesn't surround himself with fools that sings their praises, right? He's going to surround himself with wise people who are going to rebuke him at times, who are going to speak into his life. And see, as a, as a young pastor, I have some different people in my life that I have given open, free access to just tell me when I'm being dumb, right? Because I know I'm young and I know I need that. And a wise person is going to say, hey, I don't have all the answers and I'm not going to surround myself with, with people who are just going to tell me how great I am. I'm going to surround myself with people who are going to tell me where I messed up. And one of the things for me that's hard is, is when I'm leaving all of you walking through saying, great sermon, pastor, great sermon, and, and that can go to my head quickly. And so I have to try to say, you know what, it wasn't me. 
It wasn't me. And then Monday or Tuesday when I meet with Tyler and he kind of points out some of the things that I did wrong, it helps me, right? It kind of brings me back down to earth. And that's what Solomon is saying here. Next, he's going to say this. He's going to say, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. So here what he's saying is, he's saying don't use money to extort people, and, and don't be the type of person that can be bought. Right? Don't, just don't let money get to you to where you can be the type of person that you can be bought. It's pretty simple. He's going to continue in verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Verse 9, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. So here, what he's saying, it's pretty simple again. He's saying, be patient. Finish what you start. And don't be the type of person that just flies off the hook every time things don't go your way. Don't be an angry person with a quick temper because that's what fools do. And you know that, I'm going to be honest, that one really hit home. Um, if you knew me at all as a young child, I was so competitive that during sports, I would just lose it. I mean, tears running down my face as I'm running down the court trying to steal the ball because we're losing. Like, it was bad. And, um, and I, I remember the first time I saw a game tape of me kind of losing it a little bit on the court. And I was like, wow, I, I look like a fool. And, and that's kind of what he's saying here. He's like, when you just go off and you just get upset and you let a little thing just make you snap, he's like, that's what fools do. Don't do that. He's going to continue in verse 10. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. So what he's saying is wise people don't live in the past. Have you ever noticed that the older a man gets, the better he was when he was younger? Have you ever noticed that? Like back when I was your age, you know, I could, I could dunk a basketball from the free throw line. And I'm like, really? You know, I don't know if that's true. But, but what he's saying here is he's saying, don't be the type of person that's always saying, man, I remember in the good old days. I remember in the good old days. You know, there's so many people, especially with social media today, they're just so upset with the direction of our country. And, and I understand that. Um, but what they forget is that Christianity was born in an environment that was absolutely anti-Christian. I mean, just hostile towards Christianity, and it thrived. And so we don't have anything to worry about as Christians. God is on our side, and I say this all the time, but I read the end of the book, and the good guys win. And if you're a Christian today, you're on the winning side. So don't, don't just live in the past and just be like, oh man, I wish it was like that, because it's always been messed up since the Garden of Eden. Right? Like, so, so don't be the person that's back there or don't be the person that's looking ahead all the time, but instead be where you are. Just be present. Be present. That's what he's saying here. In chapter 8, he's going to continue um, with some of these wise principles and he's going to give you some wisdom for dealing with authorities. And we're not going to walk through all of them, but it's helpful to read through that. And then in chapter 9, he's going to address death again. And man, last week when I was covering chapter 7, I really wanted to tie in 9 because he brings in some great principles where he says, again, in a life where you really can't expect or predict anything, right? There's so many things that are just unpredictable in life. There's one thing you can expect, and it's death, and it happens to all. So why not prepare for the one thing that you can actually expect will come? That's what he says. Death comes to all in chapter 9. And then in Ecclesiastes 9.10, he gives a wise principle for work that I think more of you are familiar with. It's one of those kind of like a coffee cup verse where they slap it on a coffee cup or on a sweatshirt. Um, It says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. He's saying this. When you have a job to do, work hard. 
Man, give yourself to it. Do it with your might. Don't do a lazy job at work. Man, as Christians, so often um, we, we need to be the type of people that are just excellent in our job. We're excellent at it because when people see us working, they know that we're not working for a paycheck or for our earthly boss. We're working for King Jesus. And so we want to work with all of our might. That's what he's saying. And, and then in chapter 10, he's going to kind of rapid fire some more principles. In verses 1 through 4, he says this, Dead flies cause the ointment um, of the apocryphy to send forth a stinking savor, so doth a little folly in him that is a reputation for wisdom and honor. Verse 2, A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. Now, I'm not going to put a political statement here, but I don't know why the Republican Party hasn't been all over that one, all right? I mean, why, I mean, hey, guys, look at the Bible. Wise man's heart is on its right. Like, it's right there. I mean, um, clearly he's not talking about politics there, but I'm like, I'm surprised someone hasn't slapped that on the back of their car somewhere. I'm sure they have. Um, verse 3, um, Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. So again, just some wise principles here. What he's saying um, is he's saying that foolishness, just a little bit, can absolutely ruin wisdom and honor. He's like, just like you got that nice perfume and there's a dead fly in it and it just kind of ruins it. He's like, so a little bit of foolishness, a little bit of folly can ruin your wisdom, can ruin your honor, can ruin your reputation. So he's saying, walk wisely, walk wisely. In uh, verse 10, he's going to argue that we should work smarter, not harder. That's a good one, right? And then in verses 12 through 14, he's going to say this, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? So again, he's saying we need to learn to control our tongues. We need to learn to speak wisely. And then in verse 18, he's going to cover laziness again. He's going to say, don't, um, don't be a lazy person. And then in verse 20, he's going to say this, Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. You ever been burned on this? Like there's a whole group of people, and they're talking bad about someone. And, and you just kind of add one statement. And that one statement gets, bad, gets back to that person, right? It's like, come on. Like, they were all trashing you, and you fight, figure out about what I said. And, and Solomon's saying, hey, wise people don't do that. Wise people just don't run their mouths about people behind their back. They just aren't that type of person. And, and, he's, and he says, it's, it's like a bird. You know, a little bird he told me. It's like a bird hears it, and it takes it. And so a wise person says, I'm not going to talk bad about people. In fact, I'm not even going to think bad about people. I've got my life to live. I'm going to focus on my life. I'm not going to be the person that's always trashing someone behind their back or on social media, right? Let's not be those types of people. And so, as you see, there's tons of value to wisdom under the sun. And, and that's just a sampling of some of the wise principles found through these chapters. And if you're like, man, you just like, I don't even know if I got any of that. That's okay. Um, the point was to show you that there is some value to wisdom under the sun. Solomon um, just finished chapter 1 through 6 by talking about all his vanity, right? Like, it's all, even wisdom is vanity. But now he's going to say there's actually a little bit of value to living wisely in this life. But he's going to balance that now by looking at the limits of wisdom under the sun. The limits of wisdom under the sun. Scattered throughout these wise principles, you're going to find these reminders 
that wisdom is limited. And it's almost like he doesn't want you to forget that life is still somewhat of an enigma. And there's not always a cause and effect relationship when it comes to wisdom. Like sometimes you can be wise and you can do exactly what these wise principles say to do, but they're principles, they're not promises. And sometimes you'll be wise, you'll do what is right, and, and you will not have the effect that you were hoping for. Because this life is broken and there's just some things about this life that are somewhat of an enigma. In uh, chapter 7, again, if you want to go back there, in verses 13 and 14, he says this, Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider, God also hath set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. So what he's saying is, um, you can be the wisest person in the world, but you're still not God. You're still not God, and which means that you're ultimately not in control. So as you try to live wisely, keep your trust in God, not in your wisdom. That's what he's saying, because you, you can be so wise, but then you can go to apply it to a situation, and it's not God's will for it to work out the way you're hoping it'll work out, and you're not going to straighten what God has made crooked. So when good times come, fear God, trust God. When bad times come, fear God, trust God. Don't trust in your wisdom. Okay, um, He'll make his point again in verse 23 and 24. All this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? So he's saying, man, I, I took this life and, and I tried to fit it into nice categories of wisdom. But in the end, there were some things that was just too deep. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. It was an enigma to me. And, and the wise person will understand that. Now look at chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Again, we're kind of going through. You're seeing a pattern here. He gives the value of wisdom, the limits of wisdom, and then our response. Okay, in chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, he said this, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night see asleep with his eyes, then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, rather, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find out. So again, he's going to point to the fact that you can be wise, but again, you're not God. You're not God. And so yes, take these wise principles and apply them, but understand they're not always going to work out, because life is broken, man is sinful, and you are not God. That's what he's trying to say. And he's saying, I love the end of the passage, a wise man kind of claims to know, yeah, I know, I got it all figured out, right? But, but no, he doesn't know it. And, and a wise person is going to recognize that. In verse 9, we're going to see kind of a similar thing, or in chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. So what he's saying here, as he's saying that wisdom would say the swift should win the race, right? Like the, the fast person should win the race. Wisdom would say um, that the battle should go to the strong. Wisdom would say that the wise man is going to get the bread, that the riches should go to the men of understanding, but that's not how life works, is it? 
right? It just seems like sometimes the guy who's doing everything right, it's just not working out for him. And look, you can be the wisest person in the world when it comes to your finances, right? You can, you can put them where they need to go. You can invest them in all these different places. You can listen to all the gurus. But man, if the market drops out and you lose all your money, then he's saying you're, you're like a bird who got caught in a net or a fish who got caught in a net. A bad thing just happened to you and you were wise. It wasn't your fault, but that's just how life is at times. So again, he's, he's giving us wisdom to live by, but he's not giving us these cookie cutter answers and expecting it all to work out. I love the reality of this, right? And, th- and this is why I don't want to be a preacher, again, who tries to give you four steps to a better marriage. Because you're going to take those four steps, you're going to apply them, and it's not going to work at times. You're going to be like, man, the Bible doesn't work, I'm done. Right now, the Bible is very real, that we are in a broken world, and sometimes things just don't make sense. And that's where we need to trust God. In Ecclesiastes 10 in verses 5 through 9, we're going to see again kind of the similar thing going on. He says, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. So he's saying, you know, you know what's something else that kind of bothers me when I look around? These foolish people that are in places of power. He's like, what's with that? Like, how did they get there, right? And some of you are like, yeah, right? Like, we can understand this, right? Like, how did this guy get this position? How did this person get this position? And and he's upset by it, but he's like, that's just how life works. You can be the wise person, the right person for the job, but you might not get the job. That's just how it works. It keeps going. He says in verse 8, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. And then verse... uh, Nine, whoso removeth stone shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, look, a guy can go to work every single day of his life to dig pits. Right? Like, that's just his job. He digs holes. One day he falls into it and dies. He's like, that's just the way it is. Like, the, the, the wise person is going to be, be going and doing this job and doing this job, and, do, and then they're just going to be hurt by it. And he's like, it just doesn't seem to be fair. It doesn't seem to make sense. But that's just how it is in this life. And so again, you're like, yeah, Solomon's back to his negativity, right? Because, but what he's trying to do is he's trying to wake us up to realize that wisdom is valuable, yes. But it's limited. And when we trust in our, in our wisdom and our wise principles to have a good and prosperous life, we're going to end up falling short. And we're going to end up being discouraged. And a wise person... A wise person is going to have the humility to recognize that he doesn't understand everything. He just doesn't. And, and that's what he's trying to say here. So we have the value of wisdom, the limits of wisdom, and next, the wise balance between the two. So here he's going to kind of give us some responses. So, yes, wisdom is valuable, but it's also limited. So what should we do, right? What, what do we do with this? Like, what is he trying to get us to take home in verse Uh, 15 through 18 in chapter 7 again. We're going to go back. We're going to walk through these chapters again. Um, For you visitors, this isn't normally how it is. If you're like, man, what is this? Like some deep, in-depth Bible study. It's not normally like this. Um, We're just kind of covering a lot today. Um, But in chapter 7, verse 15 and 18, he's going to say something really interesting. He's going to say, All things I have seen in the days of my vanity... There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself over wise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? 
Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Now, if you were kind of paying attention or if you zoned out, let me just help you what we just read. Um, there's some people um, that, that look at this and they're like, oh, don't be too righteous. Okay, so like go to church once a month. Cool, I can do that, right? But that's not what he's saying here. Um, some commentators say he's referring to self-righteousness. So don't be trusting in your own self-righteousness. Um, I like that and I think it works with scripture, but I actually like a different approach even better. Um, another commentary pointed out that righteousness in the Old Testament has the idea of doing what is technically right. Okay, and so what he's saying, in other words, is I've seen some people who have obeyed the speed limits and the traffic laws their entire life only to still end up dying in a car crash. I've seen righteous people do what is right, do what is technically wise, and still end up having their life cut short. And then I've seen foolish people who never obey the traffic laws live into their hundreds. And he's frustrated by it. You can see the frustration. He's saying, I've seen wise people who eat spinach, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then they die of cancer at like age 25. And then I've seen people over here who eat gummy bears for breakfast, and they smoke cigarettes like three packs a day, and they live again into their hundreds. And he's like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense, and it's frustrating. But this is why he says we ought to fear God. He's saying don't be too technically right But don't go over to the other balance and just be like, well, I don't care. I won't do anything wise. He's like, instead, fear God and it'll give you both. Okay, so I actually read one of the commentators said, don't be the type of person who's always right, who always thinks they're right. I was like, ooh, and Shana's like, amen, amen, right? Uh, I can be that person sometimes. And And if I'm not right, like if I'm not sure that I'm right, I'll Google it really quick and then be like, yeah, for sure right, right? I mean, it's bad. Like I just, I want facts. And, and he's saying, don't be the person that thinks, hey, you've done everything right and so it's all going to work out because it might not work out. But don't go to the other extreme and say, well, wise principles don't always work out, so I'm just going to live life freely and do whatever I want. He's like, don't do that either. He's saying, be in the middle, fear God, trust God, live wisely, but fear God, trust God. That's, that's how we respond. He's going to continue in uh, chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. Um, he just said in chapter 8, verse, verse 10, And so I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. He's saying sometimes people do things that are wrong and they're not punished for it. And so other people look at that and they say, I'm going to do things that are wrong too. He's saying that's, that's foolish. That's foolish. In verse 12, though a sinner do evil an hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. So he's saying it doesn't matter if you look and you see a person doing what is wrong over and over and over again, but they just keep seeming to get ahead. Like, you see that person at work who is just a dirtbag behind their boss's back, trashing him and, and just saying horrible things and not working hard, but the boss comes around and he's working great and he's complimenting the boss and, and he just keeps getting the promotion. He's saying, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by that. That's not the way to go because judgment is coming. 
Judgment is coming in verse 13, but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth. And so he's, he's going to continue, he's going to talk, and he's going to say, hey, listen, I know it's frustrating to look and to see evil people prospering, but don't be fooled. Fear God. Just keep fearing God. Trust God. Do what is right. That's what he's saying here. In verse 15, he said, Then I commendeth mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat, and to drink, and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. So we've heard kind of similar tunes of this in the past in this book. But what he's saying, he's not, he's not saying give yourself to a life of self-indulgence. He's saying don't be so obsessed with solving life's mysteries and doing all the wise principles that you don't just stop and enjoy life that God has given you. Enjoy the moments. Live well. Right? We can be so obsessed about living wisely and then we see someone wicked getting ahead and we get frustrated and so we try to figure it out. He's saying don't worry about all that. Just enjoy the life that God has given you. And this is where I kind of started to see this theme because he's going to say this again um, in chapter 9. And then this is kind of where we'll end. So this is the last text that we're going to cover. You're like, oh, amen, right? Um, Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9. I love this text. He says, go thy way. So this is actually an imperative. This is a command. Before he was kind of giving us suggestions in some of the areas, but this is like he's commanding it. Go thy way. Eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun. All the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor, which thou takest under the sun. So what's, what's he saying in all of this? He's saying, okay, take these wise principles. Live wisely. Try to, try to do what's right. Try to, to plan your life. Try to do what you know is wise to do. But recognize that ultimately your wisdom isn't going to save you from all the bad things that happen. And so after you've lived wisely and after you've put the principles in place and after you fear God and you're, you're trusting God, now go. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. And I love what he says here. It's, it's a call, again, not to self-indulgence, but a call to contentment. A call to live life to the fullest. He's saying, hey, go, dress up. Put some cologne on. Throw some ointment on your head. Gather a bunch of friends and family. Have a feast. Okay, it's a call to recognize that the good times are going to come and the bad times are going to come, but God is in control. It's a call to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above. He's saying, eat slowly. He said, I, I know it's easy to go through the drive-thru, but, but have a feast tonight. Go to the grocery store, get a bunch of food, and cook a big feast. Eat slowly. Enjoy a conversation. Enjoy the life that God has given you. Don't be so caught up running on this treadmill, chasing the wind, that you miss the moments that God has given you. We talked about this last week. But man, in our culture, this hits home. Because we're all about rush, 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 rush. Right? And we're rushing and we're running and we're going fast and we never step away from that and just look at life and say, what am I rushing to? What am I running to? Have a feast tonight. Call up some friends. Talk. 
enjoy life. And then he says, enjoy the wife that God's given you. So especially enjoy your spouse. Maybe, maybe put those smartphones um, away. Like maybe just throw them in the driveway and leave them there. Right? Like just, just be with one another. Right? Play some music. Dance around the house. Cook a meal together. Enjoy life. You're, you're so obsessed with living wisely. And that's what Solomon was. He was trying to figure it out. And he got so frustrated. And he said, here's what I've learned. Live wisely, but recognize that wisdom is not always going to work how you want. And so enjoy the moments that God has given you. It's all a gift. And every time he calls us to live a life like this, notice that God is in the center of it. And, and the, the New Testament's going to say that every good gift is to be received with thanksgiving. And so if you're wondering, what is he saying to do? He's saying, take all of life, all the good things that God has given you, the relationships, the friends, the family, thank God for it. Recognize their gifts from him and enjoy them. Man, we're so often just rushing ahead. And he's saying, slow down. Enjoy life. So what do we do with all of this? Well, to kind of recap again, he's saying live wisely. Live wisely because in the end, there are wise principles to live by. So to kind of recap a few, he's going to say, don't worry about cologne if your character smells like a diaper. Right? You remember that one? Right? Don't, don't always go to the house of feasting. Go to a funeral and consider your death. Surround yourself with wise people. Don't be the kind of person who can be bought. Work hard. Be patient and finish what you start. Live wisely. There are wise principles to live by. So live wisely. But also trust God. Trust God. Recognize that wisdom is valuable, but it's limited. And ultimately, God is in control. So good times are going to come and bad times are going to come. And wisdom will pay off at times and sometimes it won't. But keep trusting God. Don't trust in your wisdom. Trust God. And lastly, enjoy life. Enjoy life. Live wisely. Trust God. Enjoy life. Stop living in the past. Stop living in the future. Be where you are. Slow down. Recognize God's gifts in your life. Live each day with a childlike wonder. Like, like I said this a few weeks ago, but today when you go to wash your hands, like, Water is wet. Like that, like, that should just shock us. Like, when you sit on that bed later, like, the bed is soft. Like, when you go to have a meal, like, all the different flavors. You know, God made those different flavors. Like, he could have just gave us mush that we just eat to sustain us. But he made all these flavors and he made taste buds. Enjoy those things. Like, have a childlike wonder. Like, look at a sunset. Pull the car over and, and just, just look outside. Go on a walk with your spouse. Enjoy life. Like, don't let the little things that God has given us in the little moments of each day just pass us by. Enjoy life. That's what he's saying. Live wisely. Trust God. Enjoy life. I love what one of my commentators says about this. He really, really opened my eyes to something I didn't even see. He said, one of the best ways for us to enjoy life with Jesus is by sharing in his pleasures. All of the good things mentioned in Ecclesiastes 9 symbolize the gifts of His grace. Now, now think about this. This is awesome. Jesus gives us our daily bread. What does He say? He says, go out and eat bread. He said, Jesus makes our hearts glad with the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. He said, Jesus has anointed our heads with oil, the oil of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has invited us to the wedding supper of heaven where we will be our worthy groom or we are, well, he will be our worthy groom and we will be his beautiful bride. 
Jesus has promised to give us spotless white robes to wear in his eternal kingdom. It's all right there in Ecclesiastes 9. Where we will join the celebration that never ends. From here to eternity, every pleasure we enjoy is a gift from our everlasting Savior to point us back to him. Isn't that awesome? All these things that he just pointed out, Jesus gives to his church. And so let's enjoy them and let them point us back to him. Remember, don't allow your pleasure to terminate on the gift. Allow the gift to point you to the giver. Because that's where the enjoyment really comes. I'm a firm believer in this, but a Christian can enjoy a feast more than a non-Christian. Both can enjoy them, but a Christian can allow that feast to point them to a greater reality. A Christian can enjoy their spouse more than a non-Christian. Yes, both enjoy them. I'm not saying they don't. But a Christian can allow that marriage to point them to a greater reality. And that's what Solomon is trying to get us to do. Live wisely. Trust God and enjoy life. That's the life of a Christian. That's the life of someone who is in absolute awe of the fact that God would love them enough to die for them and then welcome them into his family. So live wisely. Do your best to fear God and obey his word. Take the time to allow every good gift to point to the giver. That's the life we are called to live today. Live wisely. Trust God and enjoy life.